Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Focus Seacast. I'm your host, Focus, and today I'm talking with Marilyn Masher about hash making and breeding for hash production. This episode will be in two parts. The first part will be available for all podcast listeners. The second part and the full episode will only be available to Patreon members. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash Focus Seacast. Without further delay, let's get into the episode. So how's it going, Masher? Good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. So I thought we'd uh, jump right into this then. And uh, so what's your first experience with hash? My first experience with hash. Um, early 2000s, me and my buddies um, weren't able to actually make it. Uh, we couldn't really figure uh, all that out properly. We were still young. Uh, these are the high school days. So we would get hash from older friends, brothers, and shit like that. Um, you know, we would just hit it off hot knives. Um, it, it worked. Uh, we'd use a hot knife, and then, like, a, uh, we'd cut, like, a milk container in half so we can kind of catch the, uh, the vapor as it, as it rises. Um, yeah, man, that was my first experience with hash. It really uh, – I, I feel like it wasn't the best representation just because – you know, half the time you were getting it, uh, you weren't really exactly sure, um, you know, really where it came from. (laughs) It just looked like a dark, goopy mess. Um, but it got us high nonetheless. Yeah. I never did the hot knives, but, um, my first experience was making, um, just pressing some keef out of the bottom of a friend's grinder who came over after school when I was in high school. And, you know, we took that, put it in a cellophane, and then put it in a pan on the stove, wrapped it in a wet paper towel, and just pressed it down and heated it, and then just threw that on top of a bowl. So that'll work. Yeah, <laughs> I that'll guess work. that's a, not not true, true to the hash we have today, but hash nonetheless. Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, mid to late two thousands um, was when you know we really started getting into the extracts. Uh, me and my buddies, we would just, you know, we would open blasts and PVC piping and just do stupid shit. We didn't understand, you know, the risks back then. Uh, we didn't really care. We were just trying to figure out, you know, the best way to get high. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, it, I would definitely say that that was kind of my first experience with, like, dabbing and actual hash uh, was when we started blasting, um, you know, nugs and things like that, you know, stuff we would buy it wasn't even like stuff that we were growing our own trim. It was just like the best stuff we could buy. This was South Carolina at the time. Um, you know, the market there wasn't the greatest, uh, but we would just, you know, try to find, you know, top shelf buds and blast them. And uh, that was really my first experience with, you know, true solid hash and dabbing. Yeah. Yeah. I never did. Never got into any of that stuff. So maybe we should talk about what, what kind of hash you're making now. So I know you do a lot of, uh, bubble hash and then you're pressing that into rosin yeah man so i um i made the jump to solvent list around 2017 uh you know i started seeing folks on the west coast having you know this beautiful 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 full melt you know beautiful hash rosin even you know some badass flower rosin um you know so that you know i definitely knew that was the direction that the market was going that was the direction i wanted to take things uh it was a lot easier you know, as a home grower to wrap my mind around, you know, washing hash, 
or washing buds, making hash, you know, things like that. It, it, it's, it's a bigger pill to swallow when, you know, you have to, you know, blast and things like that. It, it, it's, it's not saying that it's not necessarily easy, but it's just like a bigger thing to wrap your head around. Um, so it was definitely the path I wanted to go. Solvent list, you know, the flavor uh, is unmatched. It's, um, you know, it's a hell of a lot safer to do, you know, making at home, things like that. Um, most of what I have experience in is um, small to mid-level home grows. That was kind of how I, you know, cut my teeth in the industry. Uh, you know, since then, I've worked my way into bigger grows, but uh, the commercial cannabis industry is still something that um, it doesn't really appeal to me that much. Uh, commercial being legal. Uh, I know there's a, you know, a booming black market that I'm proud to be a part of. Uh, but as far as the uh, legal commercial market, just hasn't appealed to me. At least there hasn't been uh, an opportunity that uh, I felt called my name yet. Um, so uh, I cater to the home grow community uh, and I breed for solventless production. Uh, so I breed for terpene production. I breed for whole plant fresh frozen yields. Um, that's kind of the direction in which I make my selections. Uh, there are a few other, you know, really, really top notch breeders out there doing things like that, that I look up to like, you know, Bloom Seed Co, you know, Harry Palms, you know, guys like that, um, you know, making selections and, and, uh, and crosses based on hash production. So that's the direction in which I kind of decided I wanted my, uh, my little seed company to go. That was the direction in which I saw the market going, um, and, you know, and, and, and honestly, it just, it's what appeals to me the most. Uh, you know, if I was just doing it all for myself, you know, just breeding for myself back in like, you know, like I was back in the day, everything was, you know, for my own personal meds. I still think I would go this route. It's just, um, it's just a damn fine route to go. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're a grower or a breeder and you have a lot of material that's not necessarily like top shelf bud. That's just, you know, good for flower. It's nice to be able to do something with it, get a lot of trim, a lot of smaller buds. So that's, that was like kind of how I got into the whole thing was just making bubble hash out of that stuff. And then, well, you, and you know, going really from there. How, that's how bubble hash kind of like started is, you know, people washing trim and their lowers and, you know, the larky stuff. But these days, man, especially for, you know, folks that, you know, that grow specifically for solventless, um, you know, it's not just the lowers and the trim, it's, it's the whole plant. So, you know, the uppers, you know, the best of the best that that plant has to offer, uh, it's, it's, it's all getting washed. Uh, and the results that come from that, from washing whole plant fresh frozen, uh, compared to, you know, like the trim we used to wash back in the day, you know, like the dry trim, even the, uh, uh, the fresh frozen trim, it, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a night and day comparison. Um, you know, times have, are changing, times have changed. Um, that's not to say, you know, there's a lot of, you know, badass trim runs out there. Uh, but the majority of folks that grow for solvent runs are doing whole plant fresh frozen. Um, yeah. So. Yep, definitely. I agree. Like all the, all the top shelf is, that's, that's what it is. They're, they're breeding and growing specifically for that. Whereas like, you know, the hash market back in the day, especially with the bubble was a lot of just like, you know, what are we going to do with all this? So we need a market for it. And, you know, 
I mean, you can definitely make yeah. some, you know, full melt out of, you know, even bubble hash out of some shrimp. But yeah, it's definitely now it's a whole new, whole new ball game. So um, you are very accurate, my friend. But yeah, so let's uh, get into like kind of what your basic setup is, and you know how how you how you make hash. So we'll start with like you know washing, making bubble. So what I'll do is I try to work in as cold of a room as possible. Uh, so if it you know if it's cold outside, obviously you know I like working in like a cold garage, things like that. But what I've done is uh is you know I developed a little cold room out of a uh, uh, one of those window uh, unit air conditioners and then i cut a hole inside of a tent and uh sealed it up so it's just a five by five tent and uh that uh, that window unit so it it get it it gets it cold um it gets it cold i saw the idea uh from a gentleman gentleman on uh, instagram professor sift uh i had seen that and kind of mimicked what he was doing um, it's just fantastic having a cold room in the middle of the summer, you know, getting down to 40 degrees. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it just makes washing so much easier. Uh, you want to keep things as cold as possible at all times, you know, yeah. before it gets the freeze dryer. Yeah. Uh, I was going to yeah, so. jump in quick, uh, but you're talking about like a cool bot unit, right? Cause that's, I have a lot of, uh, or are you just doing a regular air conditioner? Uh, a low scale cool bot unit. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, the same dynamics of it, but uh, on a little bit more uh, MacGyver type uh, uh, level. Yeah, because um, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the Coolbot running vegetable farms for for a while and building walking coolers and all that. I built a few that used Coolbots. So yeah. same principle, same yep. principle. So what I'll do is I'll wash in there, and I'll try to do two or three washes per cycle. And I use a 20 gal uh, brute uh, trash can. Uh, receptacle uh have it on i have it on wheels so i can move it around um i use rosin ink bags i found that they're you know really good quality for the money that you pay uh they uh excuse me rosin evolution bags i use rosin ink bags for pressing uh so rosin evolution bags is what i use for washing um i, I found them you know to be you know really good quality especially for the money you pay for them um, you don't want to cheap out when you're buying bags. You don't want to buy those cheap Amazon bags you get what you pay for. Um, so I've definitely found that you can make some really, really high quality melt, and, you know, things of that nature with Rosin Evolution bags. So I'll use a six bag kit from them uh, with the 20 gal brute. And uh, so once I, I get everything washed up, uh, I'll sift it through those uh, Rosin Evolution bags. And then I will move it from there to the freeze dryer. Uh, once I freeze dry it, it's a, a Harvest Right freeze dryer, uh, medium pharmaceutical version. Uh, I'll freeze dry it. And then when it's finished freeze drying, I'll sieve it. Once I finish sieving it, I'll jar it up, keep it in the freezer. Uh, I will either, depending on who I'm washing for, I'll either uh, divide it by microns or I'll just do full spec. Uh, it just depends on, you know, what they want you know, whoever I'm washing or, if, you know, if I'm washing for myself, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely divide it up uh, for future reference. I, I have a freezer just full of individual jars with hash in it. You know, if I don't label the shit, I'll just get lost and, you know, shit will get mishandled and whatnot. <clears throat> so um, afterwards I will, uh, I'll put it in rosin bags to uh, uh, press into rosin 
and I use rosin plates. I found that uh, they have really great customer service. I really like working to them, working with them. Uh, you know, they're just top-notch guys. Uh, so again, I use rosin evolution bags to wash and I use rosin bags to press uh, just in case, you know, I did do a you know, good job clearing that up. Uh, but yeah, man, I, you know, have a pretty, you know, basic setup, nothing too crazy. Uh, but I will say it works. I hand wash everything. I use a paddle. Um, it's like a food scraper. It's I made a food grade material, and it's like a paddle with holes in it. It's not like your standard kayaking paddle. I had <clears throat> I had one of those kayaking paddles I used, but I found that the like like the uh, the plastic liner at the end, like it, because you're constantly in cold water with ice and shit, like it would like start to chip away. And get into the hash so i uh, i made the move over to uh the plastic scraper or the food grade I think it's plastic um but it's food grade and it works great and it's all one piece so there's nothing that can like break off and get into the hash so I, you know again i use pretty rudimentary tools you know things are you know fairly simple you don't have any of the safety concerns that you would with solvents um just works man i mean you don't have the yields that you get with solvents but you have the quality that you can't achieve or it's very very difficult to achieve with solvents you know as well as the fact that you can do it at home on a fairly you know low budget so yeah yeah definitely i mean you can get six seven hundred dollar presses now online that are you know three by five two by five plates that will do a decent job especially for a home grower or a smaller grower but um yeah, I thought we'd go and kind of break down that process a little bit. So, um, so what size bags are you actually using as far as microns go? So I'll use a 220 wash bag. Uh, that'll just kind of, uh, so I use that in the actual container in which that I'm washing. And I, I do that so I can lift out all the ice and the, uh, you know, the buds and whatnot and, and kind of get like a rough filter so I can throw it through the, uh, the rest of the bags without any plant material in there. Uh, so I'll use a 220 wash bag, and then when I'm actually uh, putting it through the other bags, I'll use another uh, 220, and then I'll use a 160, then I'll use a 120, and then I do a 90, and then uh, I do a seven, uh, 70 or 74, um, 45, and then 25. So I try to hit all the levels there. Um, you know, I, I, I try to get as much separation like, as, as possible. It really is a big difference between like, you know, like 45 and 120. Like it, there really is a huge difference. So that's why I, you know, I try to offer, you know, as many, um, micron sizes as, as I can, um, you know, without going too over the moon with it. But again, it's, you know, pretty simple. It, it, it's your standard kit. Um, six bag kit and it works great yeah i i'm a little bit more basic i do a 220 and i think it's either a 190 and a 160 to catch some some you know maybe some debris and stuff and then i just go right into a 45 with everything um but yeah i'm not doing not doing anything fancy it's just all mostly trim and small little larfy buds that i do so um, it works yeah it does work so um but yeah, so then after that process, you said you, you go into the freeze dryer. Um, I think when we talked before, you said it takes like a day or so for it to, for yeah, it to depending suck on all the moisture much, out. Yeah, depending on, you know, 
how much materials in there. Um, it really just depends. It, it's got a, I guess like a sensor in there or something that's able to figure out, you know, the proper time. I try not to mess with it. The one thing I do suggest uh, is to change uh, to customize the shelf temperature. I think it's 120 or 125, you know, stock, not stock, but like from the factory, if you don't customize it. And what that means is uh, the temperature and it will, will reach up to 125 to try to dry and cool it or to try to dry it and take all the moisture out. And that's fine when you're doing like food and like dog treats and, and shit like that. But when you're dealing with hash and terpenes, you want to keep it as cold as you can. Gonna try to preserve and not, you know, volatilize off those turps. So I, I put it down to like 25, um, and you can do that. It, it, it it'll let you customize the shelf temperature all the way up, you know, you know, past 120, of all the way down to, you know, below 20. So uh, it's definitely I, that would be the one suggestion that I have to anyone that's using a freeze dryer who might not have experience with one is just make sure that you change that custom shelf temperature before you do your hash runs with it. Okay. Yeah. I assume because it was freeze drying, it was taking it down pretty cold already, but yeah, that's interesting. Oh, it does. Know. It does. It, but it also, in it for it to dry, um, it, it'll, it'll take it up to that temperature. So I, I it flat, I believe it freezes everything. It's like sublimination or something. Again, I'm not a scientist, man. I'm not. I'm not going to try to get into something I, I really can't talk about. <laughs> I got you, but yeah, just keeping the the basic is keep it as cold as you possibly can. That's that's the name yes, of the sir. game. Yes, sir. Yes, yep. sir. So, um, and then, um, yeah, let's run through. So after that, you sieve it. You said so. You just put push it through like a metal sieve, kind of get everything you know, homogenized and not clumpy and exactly a little bit. Yeah. If you don't do that and you uh, try to press it out and it's still clumped up, the bag will most likely blow out on you. Uh, so that's one of the main reasons I do it is, you know, just like you said, the homogenize, you know, the word I'm saying uh, that and, you know, get everything to the same texture and consistency. Uh, so when you do go to bag it up and press it, you don't have like spots that, you know, are, 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 are clumped up in there that will, you know, make the bag blow out and whatnot. So you do want to sieve it all through, uh, you know, once it's freeze dried and then you want to keep it in a freezer. Uh, you want to keep it as cold as you can because it'll start to melt if it's, you know, full melt. Yeah, definitely. So then uh, what, what size bags do you use and, uh, and also what size press? And then obviously we can go from there on temps and all that time and stuff, but we'll, we'll start with uh, just bags and your basic press setup. So uh, <clears throat> uh, the bags that I use is I start in a uh, 25 micron bag. So that's what I load the hash up in. Uh, and then I double bag it with a 160. Um, I found that if I, you know, fluctuate those, you know, any which direction, uh, it'll, it, it, it'll start having blowouts. Like if I did like, like a 15 micron bag and a 120, uh, I found that, you know, there's a higher probability for blowouts. And what a blowout is for anyone that doesn't know is, um, it's when the pressure is too great while you're pressing it and the hash, uh, actually blows out whether a steam or, you know, some weak spot in the bag and hash will actually, you know, come out of the bag. 
and uh, contaminate the rosin. And once that happens, that rosin is, is pretty much useless. The only thing you can do with it is put it on like top of bowls and shit like that because it'll chest the living daylights out of your banger. Um, but, yeah, so uh, you want to avoid blowouts as much as possible. Um, I've yet to found a, find a bag that, it, you know, doesn't bl- blow out. Everyone says their bag doesn't, but if you pack it the wrong way, that bag's going to blow. Uh, so I do a 25 and then I do a, uh, 160 and I do the two by four bags, uh, cause my plates are four by seven. Uh, they're the dual, uh, dual temperature control rosin plates. Um, you know, again, I got, you know, fantastic deal on it. They have great customer service. Uh, so when it comes to the pressing business, I, I usually stick to rosin. When it comes to washing, I'll do rosin evolution. You know, just to again make that again make that distinction between the two, so folks don't get confused. Yeah. So um, when you're pressing, how how many how much grams of hash? You're, I'm assuming you're not doing any like bottle tech or anything. You're just pressing it as like a square. Do you like pre-press it or? Yeah, I pre-press it, and I usually do anywhere between 15 to 20, eh, 10 to 15, sometimes up to 20 grams at a time. Uh, but, yeah, I have a mold that I use, a pre-press mold from Rosing that uh, works really well. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely make sure to pre-press it. And what that does is, you know, just like we talked about earlier, monetizes everything and keeps all the – you know, all, all it all consistent as far as like you don't want to have like spots in the bag where it's you know it, it, it's more clumped up than other spaces. So I've just I've found I have the least amount of issues with blowouts and the most consistency. You know, run to run. If I use a pre press uh, and I uh, uh, stick to the same you know bag setup and bag sizes, so so it works for me. Nice. So then let's get into temperatures, time, pressure, that whole thing. Um, I know it definitely varies between uh, varieties, but what do you, what's yeah. your usual? So I usually go in, uh, if it's hash, I usually go in at about 160. Um, you know, it, it, I try not to go in, you know, too, too, you know, too cold, you know, just because, I, you know, I am trying to get some yields, but I also don't want to have it be too hot and, you know, volatilize off those serps. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've found that, you know, 160 works, you know, it, you know, it is strain specific. Sometimes there are strains to do better, uh, with higher temperatures, uh, as well as the other direction with lower temperatures. But for, you know, for pressing hash, I usually stick to 160 Fahrenheit, uh, uh for flour, I usually do like two, 205 Fahrenheit. I usually press um, for 60 to 90 seconds, uh, and I do low and slow. Uh, again, that's to prevent blowouts. If you you know put too much too much pressure onto you know the the puck or whatever you're pressing too fast, it doesn't give the you know the material time to you know properly form to the pressure in which it's being pressed on. So you want to do it low and slow. Low meaning low pressure, slow meaning you apply the pressure slowly. Um, so I try to ramp it up uh, to be full, about full full pressure at about 60 seconds. So I'll, I'll kind of evenly ramp it up. 
if for the first minute in pressure. Uh, pressing hash, I really it, – it doesn't take much. Um, it really doesn't take much as far as PSI. Uh, you can get by with, you know, minimal, minimal amounts. And, again, I don't want to say any specific numbers just in case – you know, someone has different experiences. I just don't want to, you know, be the guy that causes the problem. So, you know, I suggest, uh, you know, trying low and slow and working it up to finding, you know, what works best for you as far as what yields and, you know, the quality that you want. Some people, you know, press, you know, strictly for, you know, for yields. And I'm really too worried about the end quality, um, you know, as long as it's dabbable and, you know, you have as much as possible. Others, you know, like to, uh, you know, preserve those chirps and, you know, put as, as little pressure on as possible. So, again, it just depends on what you want. And I suggest just figuring out for yourself. Uh, and the only way to do that is just going low and slow, man. Yeah, I agree. I could definitely say, though, that hash is a little bit shorter press. Flower is usually a little bit longer press. And same thing what you were saying about pressure. Hash, you usually don't need the pressure you need for flower. So, um, I've gone a little the same. I've gone like a little higher temps, a little longer press, a little bit more pressure on flour, and that works fine. But yeah, there's definitely a huge margin between hash flour and then all the varieties of each too. So it's you definitely know, uh, you, figuring it out as you go. I'll, I'll tell you, man. Uh, pressing hash is like mopping. Easy to learn, impossible to master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making right. love all that, man. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think what we'll do, the same kind of thing we did last time, is we'll break this up into two parts. So this will be the end of the, the first part, and then we're going to go into the second part here, which is for Patreon supporters only. So you can find me at patreon.com forward slash focusccast. Focus is spelled P-H-O-C-A-S. So we're going to get into the second half. If you want to listen to it, check this out on Patreon.